Turning your Bibles to Genesis 46, we're, we're going to continue our study, of course, of the book of Genesis. We're near the end of the study, of our study. In this section, of course, the focus, and we've been seeing this, of course, is the life of Joseph. He's the man raised up by God to provide, really, for the nation during this great famine. And it's really a special time because Jacob and Joseph come together. Uh, basically, Joseph's dad brings the family from what we call the land of Canaan back to the land of Egypt. And at Joseph's request and, of course, God's, per- God's permission. Jacob leaves the promised land. We talked about it uh, several weeks ago when we met on Sunday night that uh, when Jacob left the promised land, he really wasn't supposed to leave, or at least that's what he thought because Abraham had left one time and he wasn't supposed to leave, and Isaac had left and he wasn't supposed to leave, and now Jacob is going to go down to Egypt. Is that okay? We saw that he actually stopped and worshipped God at Beersheba, and God came to him and said, don't be afraid to leave. This is the plan. You're going to go down there. I'm going to make a great nation. For the first time in 22 years, the entire family is going to be together. As we look tonight, there will be several things that sort of stand out. First of all, we'll see the reunion of the family. They're going to all meet together. We talked about that a little bit last time. We're going to see the meeting before Pharaoh as they go and stand before Pharaoh. And then Jacob's view of life. And and when you look at that, uh, Jacob's view of life is bad. Jacob looks at life as, uh, you know, he said, I have lived a few, li- a few years in unpleasant years. Well, he lived, he lived to be 147. That's not a few years. He's 130 when he says this. And he talks about how unpleasant his life has been. We'll talk about that as we see this unpleasant life as we go through it tonight. There's so much in this section that we want to um, really learn from these great truths. Let's start with a prayer and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you again for the privilege to come together as believers and to worship you and to study the Bible. And Lord, as we look at the life of Joseph and the things that are here and, and Jacob and Pharaoh and the brothers and everything that we would see truths and principles we could apply in our lives right now. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us. Teach us now. Help us to see truths. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how do you view life? Really, is it good or bad? You know, I, people come in the office, I counsel them, and some people look at life so differently. Some people, they hate life. They say, oh, it's so hard, everything's so bad, everything is sad. Uh, there's so many more downs than there are ups. And, and then other people come in and they say, well, you know, I love life. I love every day and things are good. There's some bad things, but overall, things are good. How do you view life, good or bad? There's an old saying, "Is how do you look at the glass? Is it half empty or half full? And how do we believers look at life Think about it. When we look at trials and problems, should we say, count it all joy when you fall into various trials? Because no one that's testing your faith works patience. Should, should when there's good things, we should just praise God and say, grace of God all the way. Well, this evening we're going to see how Jacob looks at life. And, and you know, when you look at it, uh, he, looks, he looks at life really, and I hate to say it, but from the bad side. And, you know, his name is Jacob and Israel. He's got two names. Jacob means deceiver. So he was born with the name deceiver. So that probably affects a little bit of your life as you're going through life, being known as the deceiver. And he deceived people all his life, and he was deceived all his life. And so we look at life in that sense. But God has changed his name, and he's Israel, and he's the prince of God, and and the nation of Israel is coming through him, and the, the 12 tribes of Israel come through him. So when you look at his life and you say, Jacob, you've had a... Pretty good life, if you look at it that way. What do you think about life? Do you look at it and say, it's been a great life or been a bad life? And, and uh, we'll just see, you know, it's just basically almost our attitude on how we look at some things when we realize what God is doing. Well, let's think about it. Jacob uh, has received word that Joseph is alive. 
It's been all these years. And it's almost he almost couldn't believe it. But not only is Joseph alive, not that they just found him. Hey, we found him. That's not even that. He's not even alive. He's a ruler in Egypt. In fact, he's number two on the list in Egypt. It's just powerful. And so they're now on the way to meet him. And last time when we stopped, uh, God, God, is, God was uh, told Jacob to go on to Egypt. And we're now at the end, near the end. Now remember, we saw this from the very beginning of the book, that in the, in the book of Genesis, there are four key events and four key people. In the first 11 chapter, chapters, the four key events, of course, was the creation, the fall, the flood, and the division of people. But as far as four key people in chapters 12 through 50 is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And we're in looking at the life of Joseph. Of course, Jacob and Joseph sort of go together in this because we're seeing them and we're seeing them come together in Egypt. And you remember there was the famine and Joseph had been raised up by God to basically save Egypt. And Egypt has food. And now God is going to use Joseph and Egypt to save his own people, Israel. He's going to remove them from what we call the promised land to get them out of where the, the Amorites and the uh, Jebusites and the Canaanites are living, which are, evil, which are causing them to fall. They're going to get them out of there and he's going to bring them down to Egypt so they can be protected and also have food during the famine. And God's, God gave a promise to Jacob and he said, go on down to Egypt. I will make you a great nation. I mentioned it this morning. When, when they get down to Egypt, there, there are 70 of them in the family. 70. When they come out those years later, there's over 2 million. They go down as a family. They come out as a nation. Let me break down the passage for you. This is how we'll look at it tonight. We're going to see that Joseph meets Jacob. And that's, that's verses 28 through 34. That's where they, they, they've just... This is something that Joseph has waited for all this time. Jacob has waited for. Jacob not even knowing that his, his son's alive. But now that he knows he's alive, he can hardly wait to get there. And then we see the family meets Pharaoh. And there's some brothers. He gets brothers. And then Jacob comes. And Jacob blesses Pharaoh, so it's pretty powerful. Let's see the reunion. Jacob uh, and Joseph and his dad, 22 years, at least 22 years have passed. It may be longer than that, but 22 years have passed. Look at verse 28. It says, that this is of chapter 46. Now he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Now the he there is Jacob. Jacob is, is, is you know, Jacob is 130 years old, but he's still the head of the family. You may have all these, these younger men, and they're all older now, but they're, uh, they're on their way, and Jacob sends Judah on and says, Judah, you go on up and show us the way to go because we don't know how to get to Goshen, but you've been here before, and show us what's going on. So he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. The Goshen is in the northern part of, of Egypt uh, where the river Nile is forming the, uh, you know, the delta and all the water spreading out, and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, one of the be- it's probably the best place to live in Egypt. And, and so that's part of the best part of the land. And so that's where they know they're going to go. That's what they've talked about. And so it's supposed to be pretty good. So verse 29, and we talked about this last week. This verse really means a lot to me. It says, Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a long time. You can see them coming together after all these years and they wept and they hugged and they wept and they hugged and, and it is just really a powerful time. And, and verse 30 says, Israel said to Joseph, let me die. I mean, I can die. Basically is what he's saying. I can die. Since I've seen your face, you're still alive. He's seen his son and there's the reunion. And we, we talked about this several weeks ago that we're going to all have a great reunion one of these days because there are people that we've loved, people in our family, our moms, dads, maybe family, other family members, people who have, who have died and gone on before. So your brother just, when did he die? Last night? Her brother died last night. And, and um, there's going to be a time we're going to all be together. 
those are our loved ones who have trusted in Christ, and they've gone on ahead of us, and we say, well, we miss them right now, but there's going to come a time in which we're all going to be hugging, and we're all going to be there, and we're going to say, we're going to be together for all eternity. See, when, when, when God planned His salvation plan, there's nothing shabby about it. Do you know what I mean? Everything is perfect. He provided His Son to be our substitute, and it's all grace. And He said, not only am I going to give you life, I'm going to give you eternal life. And not only am I going to take care of you here, but I've gone to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to get it all ready, and we're going to all be together again. And we're not just going to all be together and just stand around. We're going to all be together serving and living together for all eternity. And that's just beyond almost what we can imagine. And you can picture Jacob seeing Joseph after at least 22 years going, wow, I I could die, I could die because I've now seen my son. I've missed him all these years. I thought he was dead, and now he's alive. It couldn't be any better than this. And we think, well, that would be great. But we're going to have a reunion with those who've gone on before us that's going to be beyond anything we could imagine. And it's going to be for all eternity. In First Thessalonians 4, oh well, uh, did, what was the slide before? Oh, yeah, uh, what, what are these days? And this is, this is what's going to happen, of course. Jesus Christ is going to come to get us. And, and if, if we don't die physically, if we're still alive, Jesus Christ is going to come in the clouds. The dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain to be caught up together with Him. And we're going to be there, and we're going to meet Him in the air. And that's, of course... 1 Thessalonians, that's the next slide, I think, that says 1 Thessalonians 4 is where it talks about that. What a reunion. You know, the passage says, The dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain to be caught up together with them. Thus we'll meet them in the air with the Lord, and thus we'll always be together with the Lord. That's a great reunion. It could happen just like that. Because Jesus Christ could come right now. I know we don't always think about it that way. In fact, the younger you are, you're not necessarily wanting him to come. The older you are, you're saying, I've just about had all I want down here. I'm ready for him to come on. Let's end this thing now, and we can all be together forever. That's what we think. And uh, it could happen in any second. What a reunion. Well, here's something that's important, and we'll see it as we go on, because they've hugged and all this. Now, it is important, and the next slide shows this, it's important to know, it's wise to know your culture. Joseph has been in Egypt for a long time. And he's going to tell his brothers and his family, now listen, uh, we want to be careful. Because truly, Egyptians were pretty, uh, they were pretty unique. They didn't like very many other people. They, didn't, they thought they were superior uh, to any, any people group. And so here is Pharaoh, and here's the Egyptians, and now these Jewish family, basically, is coming to live with them. So he says, we need to know our culture. So look what he says to them in verse 31. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brother and my father's household, who were in the land of Canaan, have come to me. I'll go tell Pharaoh, you're here. And, and, and I'll say, and the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. Now, he said that they're shepherds. Now, in the study, the best I could find, the Egyptian people didn't like shepherds. They didn't like keeping animals. They didn't like dealing with that. They thought it was a dirty, nasty thing. And they saw that that shepherding was actually a, a little like lower cultured for them. And so they, they, they looked at people who tended livestock, and they said, yeah, y'all can stay over there. They actually usually hired other people to take care of their livestock. 
They didn't want it because they had livestock. They just didn't want to deal with it. So they did that. And so he says, you tell them, tell Pharaoh, he says, and the men are shepherds. They've been keepers of livestock. They have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. Now, here's what you do. Here's what he says. You're going to be keepers, keepers of livestock. Watch this. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen. So he says, tell him that so that you can live in the land of Goshen. Now, watch the end of the verse. For every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. Okay, if... if they're loathsome to the Egyptians. Why do you want us to tell them that that's what we do? Because he wants his people to stay separate from the Egyptians. See, what happened in the land of Canaan with all those Canaanites? They were getting intermarried with them. They were getting mixed up. We already saw it. And you remember, you, you want the nation of, nation of Israel has got to be a unique people. They've got to be special. They've got to be set apart. And they were in trouble in Canaan. Now they get in Egypt. He doesn't want them to get mixed up with the Egyptians. So he says, you tell Pharaoh, we keep livestock. Pharaoh will go, well, y'all, y'all stay up there then. Stay up in Goshen. And because the people, the keepers of livestock, the shepherds are loathsome to the Egyptians. That will keep our family separate. What he's really trying to do is protect his own people. He doesn't want them to get mixed up and intermarry with the Egyptians. He knows they have to be separate. So he's saying, know the culture, know what it works. And so he says, go ahead and emphasize that. And let me just say this about knowing the culture. Uh, I've got a little slide here. We're, we're, we're talking about living wisely in a fallen world. When we deal with people in, in different cultures and maybe go places or... I remember going to Mexico with Campus Crusade one year. I actually went twice with them. And, you know, there were things they told us before we got down there. And it's not a different culture. You know, it's not a real different culture as in some other parts of the world. But they said, well, don't do this. Don't do this. And they just told us, you know, don't do that. Because that, you know, uh, in, in America, if, if, uh, if I was walking along and I tripped, everybody would go, <laughs> he tripped. In that culture, you don't laugh if somebody trips. You don't laugh. And, and we were we were in a place and we were showing the Jesus film and they were all sitting on these boards uh, watching it and one of the boards broke and it fell down like this and our tendency would go you know the board but nobody laughed because that that was that's not funny to them you know and so uh, they told us don't laugh if something like that happens that's that's not funny to them. In that culture, so we're not talking about watering down anything. We're talking about living wisely in a fallen world. Think about think about this. First of all, Jesus said that we're to be salt and light, wise as serpents. Remember, wise as serpents, which is, was not a negative way. He was saying, just be smart, harmless as dove, wise as serpents. You know what to do. Uh, Paul said that he became all things to all men that he might win them to Christ. Now that he didn't change the message at all. He said, to the Jew, I was like the Jew. To those under the law, I was like under the law. To those out, not under the law, I was not under the law. He said, I just became all things to all men so that I could win some to Christ. I knew how to deal with people. Peter said, you've got to be ready to give an answer to everyone. You've got to know what to expect and what to do. So know the culture. Be ready to communicate the message of salvation because that's the key. Well, let's remember what's going to happen now. They're, they're, they're getting ready because at the end of the chapter, now chapter 47, they're going to, uh, Joseph has already given advice to his family. He says, when you meet the Pharaoh, emphasize that you're shepherds, you handle livestock. That way they'll put us where we want to be and we'll be sort of separate. And uh, he wants them to understand the culture. So look what happens. Chapter 47, verse 1. Then Joseph went in and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers and their flock and flocks and their herds, 
herds and all that they have have come out of the land of Canaan and behold they are in the land of Goshen. So he starts and tells the Pharaoh everything. He says my father and my brothers are here. They brought all the animals. They made the trip from Canaan. That's what you asked me to do. In fact Pharaoh had actually told him you go back and pick them up. Take some wagons. Go back and pick up your family and bring them here. So Joseph's gone into Pharaoh and said they're here. They're back. Now they got all their animals and everything and they're in the land of Goshen. Every time that they've mentioned this, they've said the land of Goshen. They want to be there. That's what they want to do. So watch what happens. Then he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Let me ask you a question. Wonder which five? Five oldest? We don't know. He doesn't even say. He doesn't say which brothers he picked. He picked five brothers. Now, what if, what if, what if you were one of the brothers who wasn't picked? I want to go. I, mean, I want to go. Why don't I get? Why didn't you pick me? I mean, what if they had? What trouble have they had all of their lives? All of them. All they do is fuss. They don't ever get along. Now he picks five of them out, and he doesn't tell us why he picked five. He doesn't tell us which five he picked, but he picked five from among his brothers. We would, we might assume that he would pick the five oldest, because that that in that that in that culture, the older ones have the advantage. So it could be that he picked the five older. It doesn't say that, and they presented them to Pharaoh. They're going to go meet Pharaoh. Now, by the way, to meet Pharaoh, you, do you think the average person met Pharaoh? I'd be like saying, listen, we're just going to go up and meet the president. You know, not that I necessarily want to meet the president. But anyway, if you wanted to meet the president, I mean, huh, I mean, you just can't say, we're going to go up and meet the president. They couldn't just say, we're just, we'd like to go up and see the Pharaoh. Pharaoh just didn't see anybody. So here, Joseph is so powerful as number two, that he can present his family to Pharaoh. And so look what it says. He took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, Your, sep- your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. They, they, uh, they wanted to make it clear what they did for a living. And Pharaoh is, is knowing, he knowing that 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 as a whole, the Egyptian people don't like people who handle... When I say don't like them, they look down on them almost as second class. And as I said, they hired people. They hired... The, the people they captured, their slaves, other, they used them to take care of their livestock. That's just the way they were. So here's what they say. They said to Pharaoh, this is verse 4, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. Wow, that's pretty forward, sort of, isn't it? I mean, they not only meet the Pharaoh, they say, if it's okay with you, we'd like to meet, you know, we'd like to have the, the very best land, because Goshen was the very best place. Now, we already know that Joseph had already talked to Pharaoh about them living there. They've already told him. They've already told the family that's where we're going to live. But they're making the, the formal request to Pharaoh. We've come and we would like to be there and this is what we'd like to do. We're going to see that God is blessing the nation. Think about this. God has chosen Abraham and made a promise to him that the seed of Abraham will be the Messiah and the Savior. Then Abraham to Isaac and the exact same promise. And Isaac to Jacob and the exact same promise. And we already know that just by what we see through the Scripture that the, the actual Messiah is going to come through Judah. But, but God has preserved this family. And when we think about Jewish people, you've got to realize that at this time, even 
all the whole family put together is only 70 people. And so here's the, you know, if you think about it, it's just a little more than that's who's in the room tonight. This is all of Israel. There's Abraham, you know, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's gone. Here we got Jacob and the 12 and their family and their kids. and us. We got 70 people, right? That's, this is the whole, it, it, we're about 60-something in here tonight, okay? This is, this is the people group of Israel right here. That's all we are. What happens if we uh, get a bad disease and it spreads through every one of us? We could all be gone, can we? Where's the Messiah going to come from? When you think about Abraham, there's only Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. There's only three of them. And then there's the five of them and seven of them, and it gets a little bit bigger. By this time, there's only 70 of them. The salvation of the world is dependent on these 70 people, if you think about it, right? Especially Judah. Because the promise is coming through Judah. The Messiah is coming through Judah. We don't always think of it that way. Well, look at verse 5. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Wow. Settle your father and your brothers in the, in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. So he says, listen, give them the best of the land. Boy, they're taking care of them. Your family has come. Give them everything. And then look what he says. And if you know any capable men among them... Put them in charge of my livestock. See, Pharaoh don't want to deal with livestock. He didn't want Egyptians dealing with livestock. He says, but if you got any of your family connected with you that are good at this, put them in charge of my livestock. I'll, I'll trust them. Let them do it. The blessings are there. Wow. Look at this. Look what God has done. Obviously, we'll get this. There it is. Okay. What has he done? He's raised up Joseph in the nation of Egypt. Out of all the people in the whole world, Joseph is raised up to be number two behind Pharaoh. He has got total favor with Pharaoh. He has brought the, the family of the Jewish people to Egypt. There is protection and provision for them. In the midst of a worldwide famine, the best that we can tell, they're protected, they have provision. They now have the best of the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh says, uh, if you've got any good ones, we'll use them. I mean, what better could it be than that? But think about this for us. God blesses us. The blessings, think about the blessings that we have as God's children. I think there's really two things. I put it this way, inheritance and rewards. Now, uh, when we say inheritance, and I'm using inheritance as what God gives us because we're a child of God. There is. There is an aspect of there is a reward of our inheritance. And there's some passages in the scripture that use inheritance in a sense that you earn it. Okay, that's a different aspect. Tonight I'm just using the inheritance as the sense that as a child of God, what does he give us? When we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, He gives us a home in heaven and a new body and eternal life and all those things. And It's not something that we earn. It's an inheritance that He just gives us. But also, the blessings are rewards. When you serve God in His power, it's His power through you. When you serve God in His power, He rewards you. Think about it. He says, okay, here, I'm going to use you. I'm going to give you the power. I'm going to work it all out. I'm going to set it up. I'm going to allow you to do it. And then I'm going to reward you for doing it. I mean, how could, what could be better than that? It's all the grace of God. It's so powerful. So uh, the great things. The brothers come before Pharaoh. Now comes the old man, 130 years old. Can you picture What do you think he looked like? 
What do you think he looked like? Little old Jewish man, right? And, and, and how does he walk? How does he walk? Right, because God had touched his hip. And he limped all the rest of his life. And he comes before the Pharaoh. Look what it says. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh. And just notice, it just says, oh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. You can almost see Jacob going, may the God of Israel who take care of the God of my father Abraham and Isaac. And just to put his, you know, he's, he's, he's blessing Pharaoh. You can almost see Pharaoh go, I am the king around here, you know. <laughs> I don't know who this old man is, but he, he realizes what's going on. And we see that he uh, blesses Pharaoh. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. I, I, I read the other day, it says, you know, realize one is the child of God and the other is the child of the world. The child of God always has the advantage. Do you understand that? The child of God is always the great one. S. Lewis Johnson, who used to teach at Dallas Seminary, said this. He said, it's a striking picture, the feeble patriarch blessing the mightiest monarch of the day. Let's see their meeting. Let's see. What do they say? Well, look, look what he says. Uh, Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many years have you lived? He said, how old are you? And the answer. So Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my sojourn are 130. Few and unpleasant. Notice, few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor they obtained to the years of my fathers lived during the days of their sojourn. Now, he actually says, I've lived 130 years they're few years and they're unpleasant. You and I would look at it and go, I don't think 130 is a few years. Who is he comparing it to? His fathers. What does he say? I have not attained to the years that my fathers lived during their days. See, Isaac lived 180 and Abraham lived 175. So Abraham 175, Isaac 180, he's at 130. He's saying, not fair. It's not fair. I've lived a few years, and they have been unpleasant. Look, look what he says. Uh, there's, there's a whole, yeah, few and unpleasant. I mean, that's what he's got. Uh, well, what's few? 130? What's unpleasant? He's one of God's chosen people. He's the one that the whole nation of Israel is named after. How can that be unpleasant? What does he do? Look what he does. Verse 10. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. I want you to think for a minute as, as God's represented, he was blessing uh, uh, the, the Pharaoh. And, and he's used by God not only to deliver the nation. To think about Pharaoh. Not only to deliver the nation, but to provide a place for the nation to grow. This whole, this whole aspect of nation of Israel becoming a mighty nation, it, all, it happens in Egypt. Hosea 11.1, 1, out of Egypt I have called my son. Powerful. Well, let's think about life. Let's think about how you look at life. You can look at life from a positive or a negative. From positive and say, hey, God is working in all events. And look at everything as a blessing. Even, even things that aren't good, you say, well, it's not good. But God's working all things together for good. Those that love God, those are called according to purpose. Or you can look at life at negative. And you see the trials and the problems and the hardships. And you can see what you don't have. And you can say, gosh, I've only lived 130 years. I've only lived 130 years. Gee, that's not, that's not great. Jacob looked at life, by the way, from the negative, And we'll see that. The truth was, you remember one time he said that everything is against me? That's what he said. Everything is against me. Let's talk about looking at it from the negative for just a second. few years. Yeah, he's going to end up living 147, but it wasn't as long as Isaac or Abraham. Abraham 175, Isaac 180. He only, he's only going to live 147 years. 
He says it's unpleasant. He had to leave home. Had to leave home for some years. He was tricked by, you know, tricked for a wife, if you remember. You know, and, and, and he worked hard. He was lied to by his sons. He's got a divided family. So if you looked at it from this side, we could see some negative things, couldn't we? But let's look at it from positive. Few years, no. 147 is a long life. Moses only lives 120. Joseph only lives 110. So he's way up over Joseph. And way up over Moses. What about unpleasant? How unpleasant is it chosen by God and given the covenant? God chose Abraham. God chose Isaac. God chose Jacob. What else? That he's married Rachel. Who is Rachel? That's the woman one. That he loved. Would every person say, you know, I got one of the greatest blessings of life. I married a person that I truly love. He got to marry the person he loved. His name was changed to Israel, the father of the nation of Israel. I mean, I mean, he's been Jacob deceiver, but God said, no, your name's going to be Israel. To this day, his name is famous. We don't say the nation of Jacob, the nation of Joseph, the nation of Abraham. We say the nation of Israel. He had 12 sons. I don't have any sons. He had 12 sons. He's saying, I got an unpleasant life. You got 12 kids, 12 boys, not even counting you, Dinah. You got 12 sons, and they grew into what? A great nation. Eight times God directly appeared to him. Eight times. That's, a, that's an unpleasant life. To get direct revelation from the living God eight times. I mean, that, look at his life. He's thinking, well, yeah, that's really, really bad. Uh, look at this. He lived to see his family. Listen, what did he say? I lost my best son. I'm going to lose my next son. I lost my oldest son. I've lost everything. Everything's against me. He didn't lose any of them. He ended up coming together and seeing his whole family united and living in the very best land of Egypt. He's living in the most powerful nation in the world and the best place in the most powerful nation in the world. That's not unpleasant. And then finally, he has provision during the Great Famine. There are people all over the world who are starving to death, saying, I wish we had some to eat. And Jacob is in Egypt getting anything he wants. And he's saying, this is an unpleasant life. No, it's a great life. How do you look at life? We can say, nothing ever turns out for me. Really? Do you have Jesus Christ as your Savior? Yeah, yeah, he's my Savior. It turned out pretty good, I think. Seems like. And it's going to turn out pretty good. And does he, will he ever leave you for a second? No, no. He wanted, do you have the Word of God? Well, yeah, I got the Word of God. Do you have the power of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I have the power of the Do you have a spiritual gift? Well, I got at least one. I mean, think about it. We go around as if life is a mess. And what do we have? We have everything. We have each other. Everything. How do you view life? What we don't have or what God has given to us, positive or negative? You remember Joan Collins? I've looked at life from both sides now. Well, you can look at life from both sides, and you can either be mad or glad. And the old saying is, why don't you go ahead and get glad so you can look at life and see what God has done. The positive things in our lives, even the trials and the problems, work together for good. As a child of God, what do we have? We have eternal life, salvation simply by grace, not works, but simply by faith and grace. We have an inheritance that never fades away. In the Christian life, there are rewards for service, provision, and protection. We have all of this. How do you view life? Realize that God has called us to himself, has saved us, and uses us. He's making you like Jesus Christ. Think about that. He's conforming you to the image of his son. Sometimes he'll bring something into our lives, and we go, I don't like that. And he's saying, I don't care. 
Because what it's doing is making you more like Jesus. That's the plan. Let's look at life from a positive view. Richard Halverson, who was the chaplain of the Senate for a long time, said, how do you measure a life? Is it by length? Is it by influence? Is it by popularity? I mean, think about it. Length. Methuselah lived 969 years. What do we know about him? Nothing. Is it influence? Think about influence. Alexander the Great. I mean, Alexander the Great conquered the whole world. But what did he do? He drank himself to death. Right? Is it by popularity? I could name some people who are pretty popular that I don't want to have anything to do with. Right? Halverson said, life is measured by relation by relationship with the living God. That's what it's all about. You've heard me say this over and over again. It's not the things that'll that'll satisfy. It's not the things that will bring contentment. It's your relationship with God, your relationship with your family, and your relationship with your friends. That's the key. Jeremiah 9 says, Don't boast in power, money, or wisdom, but boast in the fact that you know God. And how do we know God? We know God through Jesus Christ. That's the way. So how do you see life as a child of God? Knowing the Creator and the Redeemer. Well, Jacob leaves. And I love it. Jacob blessed Pharaoh and out from his presence. <laughs> Continues to do that. I mean, that's what he's going to do. It was a blessing. Look what it goes on to say. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them, uh, settled his uh, uh, fathers and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had ordered. Now, Ramesses was the name of it later on. And so they just wanted to make sure that we knew where it was. Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to their little ones. They're going to be taken care of. I want you to see a verse. Look at, look on down to verse 27. Okay? Look at verse 27. Now, Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they acquired property in it and were fruitful and became very numerous. They went in 70 people, and they're going to come out with millions. They're going to come out as a people group. They're going to come out not as a family. They're going to come out as a nation. God's people. Powerful stuff. What have we seen? We've seen the reunion after 22 years, Joseph and Jacob. We've seen Jake, Joseph gives advice about the culture. and The family goes in and comes to live in Egypt. They get the best land. And Jacob even blesses Pharaoh. But we see Jacob looks at life. I mean, I hate to say it, but doesn't Jacob look at life from the negative? He does. I think he always will. I mean, I think if you look at his life, you could say, Jacob, look what you have. You have this and this and this and this, and God appeared to you eight times and all of this. And he'd go, yeah, but it's, it's not been a good life. How do you view life? Well, let me give you some applications. The first one is this. View life from the positive, from God's view. He's in control. Uh, both the good and the bad come from God. And they're working together. Some people view life in a negative way. You know, there's some the the three laws of the, the negative human nature is the speed at which bad uh, the speed at which news spreads is directly related to how bad it is. And and uh, you know, when admitting something bad about ourselves, the capacity to blame others is infinite. That's just the way it is. We we look at things and we say, well, that's this and that's this. We see life in the negative, but realize that we need to look at life in the positive. Are we viewing life as few and unpleasant? Are we seeing it as a child of God that we're saved and we have eternal life and we have provision and protection? I don't know. If, yeah, how, we are. how do you view life? Few and unpleasant or as a child of God? We're saved to serve the living God. He's provided us. There's a protection. There's future. There's inheritance and there's rewards. That's how we should look at life. There's so much for us. You know, it has a lot to do with how you look at each day. 
when you get up in the morning and you realize it is the grace of God that you get to live. And the grace of God has empowered you. He's given you the Word of God. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you spiritual gifts. He's given you fellow believers. He's given you opportunities. We should wake up going, what a great day that I get to live for the Lord. That's how we should look at life. The second thing, this, just as a quick one, just think about knowing our culture. Know the people that we're trying to reach. Be wise in the way that we deal with people. Uh, that's what we want to do. We, we don't want to offend the people we're trying to reach. We want to tell them the truth. We don't change the message. Knowing the culture doesn't mean you change the message. It means you figure out ways to present the message to them without offending them. Now, ultimately, the cross is offensive. So when you get to the cross part, it's going to offend some people. But the bottom line is don't do more harm than good before you ever get a chance to, to talk to them. So know, your, know the cultures, know the people, those kind of things. Be ready to touch lives for Jesus Christ. May we be wise as we deal with people, as we seek to live for Christ, viewing life as a child of God. Let's pray. We'll have, if you've got questions or comments, we'll deal with it. Heavenly Father, what a passage tonight as we look at the life of Joseph and Jacob and, and all of these different things. And Lord, we just want to look at life from the positive side, realizing that you, you're God and you love us and you've saved us and you give us spiritual gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit and the Bible and opportunities to serve you and just everything we could think of, not only now but in the future. And so, Lord, when we wake up in the mornings, may we look at life and think about the privilege it is to get to live for you and that every year and every day and every month is fantastic to get to serve you and live for you. We know to live as Christ and to die is gain. And so, Lord, it is so wonderful that we get to live here and serve you and at the same time, if if something were to happen, we would be with you. And, Lord, we think about that reunion that's coming someday for all of us, and, and we look forward to that time that we'll all be together. So, Lord, thank you for a great life. And then, Lord, as we seek to reach people in our culture and in different cultures, may we know the best way to reach them and be wise so that we can have an impact for you. Thank you, Lord, for tonight. Most of all, thank you for Jesus, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, any questions, comments, anything? Yes, Joel. No, they were shepherds. That's what they did. Yeah, they, they, were just, they were just saying, remember, tell him what we do. Because he knew that the Egyptians would say, well, that's okay. Y'all stay over there. That's what he knew. That's, he was just, he, when I say know your culture, I was trying to use that also as an application for us. But, but what Joseph was doing was recognizing the culture and knowing what's best for my people, what's best for my family. And it would be to not get intermingled with the Egyptians. So if they know we're shepherds, they won't want to be close to us anyway. Yeah, what do we want to highlight? You're the good way to put it. Yeah. What else? Any other questions, comments, input? Anything? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, okay. That's the second, Hazel. Yeah. Oh, I think in our culture, wow. Because our culture tells us that anything that we have now, there's something better that you should have, no matter what it is. If you've got a brand-new shirt, there's another shirt that's actually better. 
And if you got a brand new computer, there's another thing that's better. If you got a new phone or a phone, there's a better phone. If you got a car, there's a better car. Everything is better. So our whole culture is trying to get us to consume something that's better than what we have. And I think you're exactly right. Paul said, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. It is a learned thing. It is not a natural thing because it is natural not to be content. It is natural for the flesh to say, I want this. No, I want this. Oh, I want that one. I want this one. And so it's natural not to be content. So we have to learn to be content. And I think what would help us is a turning off at a lot of things might help. Just turning off some of the things that's always bombarding us with buy this, get this, buy this, get this. You know, just say, I'm not interested in that. The the longer you live, the more you realize that things don't make much difference. They usually just break, really. I mean, they do. They break. And and, and the more you have, the more you have to take care of, and the more you have, the more they break. And we've said over and over, things won't satisfy us, just relationship with God your family, and your friends. That's the key, and so you're exactly right. Hazel? Yeah, Joseph did marry an Egyptian, don't you remember? He married uh, one of the priest's daughters. Well, he didn't have... Let me put it this way. When Joseph was raised up to that position and put in that position to be second to Pharaoh... Uh, he didn't have a lot of choices. They they said to him, "Here is going to be your wife," and you know, and so he made the best of it. And he had two sons from her that you know that ultimately they're in the lineage of the Jewish people. So yeah, you're right. He he married an Egyptian woman because that's when he was raised up to power. That's that that put him in a place of respectability. Respectability, yeah. At least two million. They married each other. Yeah. Yeah, they just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, they did. They did. Um, I'm sure they married, you know, inside the different the different family groups. And then as the family groups got bigger and bigger, it just became easier and easier in that sense. You, haven't, you don't have a Mosaic law yet that says you can't marry these certain people. Because Adam and Eve had children, right? Who did they marry? They married each other, right? I mean, that's how it got started. There weren't other people groups. There was Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, and then Cain killed Abel, and then there's Seth. And But we, we don't know the names of the other kids. Because if you think that Adam and Eve only had three kids, you're missing the whole thing. There are bunches of kids. They just don't talk about them because that's not the emphasis. The book of Genesis always highlights the main people. And Cain and Abel were the picture of the one who believed and the one who didn't believe. And then Seth was the faithful one after that. And then they just, the population and the division and the flood and all that sort of thing. So, I mean, think about uh, when, when they come off the ark, there's Noah and his wife and his three sons and their three wives. Who did their kids marry? There's only eight people in the whole world, right? So... Yeah, it, it, basically not until you get up to the Mosaic Law, which is 1,500 years before Christ being born. And you got to remember, Abraham lived 2,000 years before Christ and all the others even before that. It's not up until Mosaic Law that you actually start getting the, the, the you know, what, what exactly are the rules, you know, here. Yeah. Yeah, 
I personally think that it definitely is. He, did you all hear what he said? Is God, is God working in all that? I don't think there's any doubt that he did work in all that. I think he works in all things. I think I have two girls because God wanted me to have two girls. You know, I just think he works in our lives. That, that There's nothing by chance. Uh, I think that the, the, the hardest thing to comprehend is that you can make any decision you want to make. You're accountable for every decision you make. You can choose to do right or do wrong. You can come tonight. You don't come tonight. You can do whatever you want to do. And you're accountable to God for everything that you do. And yet everything that you choose to do fits in his sovereign plan that he's planned before the foundation of the world. So there's no way to understand that. He's infinite. We're finite. He doesn't make us do things. And yet it fits in his perfect plan that he's already planned. Psalm 139 says the, the events of our life are already written in the book before we're born. So how does it fit? Well, I don't, I don't know. I just know that I have freedom, and every human being has freedom, a freedom to believe or not believe, freedom to obey or not obey, and yet every bit of that fits in his sovereign plan, and nothing is outside his plan. Nothing catches him by surprise. He doesn't go, I didn't know J.B. was going to do that one. Wow, I didn't know that. He knows it all and ultimately plans it all. So, yeah, I think, it, I think you're exactly right. Joel? Oh, well, we know it was at least 400 years because they, they were in bondage for 400 years. And we're not sure how long the, that Pharaoh existed. And then Joseph died. And then there came a new Pharaoh that did not know Joseph. And what we think from history is that a Pharaoh came to power not from the family of the Pharaoh that was there. Sometimes they were overtaken by another group and there was a new Pharaoh. So most believe that a new Pharaoh came in, did not know the jo- Joseph's people or the Jews. And he was actually afraid as they began to populate that they would align with the old Egyptians to take back over his power. That's one reason he put them into slavery. We know they were in a slavery, the best we can tell, for about 400 years. So it's a long time. Yeah. 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 Yeah, well, yeah, probably. And, and I'm, I'm, I mean, the whole thing could be 400 years because you got to remember you've got Abraham existed 2,000 years before Christ. Moses brought him out about 1440 B.C. So... Between 300, the 400-year time period is listed in the scripture that talks about it. Doesn't doesn't just mean the the years of slavery. It could mean the whole years that they were down there. So we're not sure exactly how long, but we think they were in Egypt about 400 years total. Anything else? Okay. Thanks for coming. Okay. <laughs>